Hello there. This is Troy, one of the hosts of Geeking Off the Page, and I'm here to explain to you what it is that you are about to listen to. On October 22nd, 2021, Dennis Villeneuve's Dune was released, and in that week's podcast, there was quite the lengthy conversation about the film. However, in an attempt to bring the actual podcast in under the three-hour mark, a few portions of that conversation were edited out for time. We now present the almost 20-minute longer full conversation about the movie. And, once again, we are a spoiler cast, so please be warned, and please enjoy. In a world overrun with an infinite amount of multiverses, originating from a plethora of sources, four longtime friends band together to try to make sense of it all and present it to an audience in an easy-to-digest podcast. This is Geeking Off the Page. So, um, I believe uh, we are going to be cutting away from this Halloween sort of talk and uh, move on to our big topic of the day. And uh, what we are going to be discussing now is Dune. So this past uh, week, uh, Dune was released and um, both on, uh, theatrically and on HBO Max. And um, it is uh, part one, as uh, you are clearly told at the very beginning of this movie, Dune, part one. <laughs> and um, I will have to admit that I unfortunately didn't uh, get around to actually watching the complete movie. I am well aware of the story. I am well aware of what happens in it. But unfortunately, I cannot really take part in this conversation only because I didn't see how this was done. My only knowledge of how this was done is from the trailers, and that's obviously not going to help me out here. However, my uh, my compatriots here, uh, Mike and Trevor, uh, were able to uh, take on the uh, viewing of this. Uh, what is it? Two hours and forty. Two and a half hours. Two and a half. Two and a half, two and a half hour. Yeah. Epic. Two thirty-eight. Would, you would say a, you would say an epic. Right? Would, an epic. I would one hundred percent say epic. All right, so Epic I'm gonna definitely be in the description. Yes, definitely. So you guys take it away. You guys take up the uh, the main part of this. So you guys go ahead with that. All right. So some of us took some notes. Some of us took about four pages. The other ones took about fourteen pages. So we have a lot to discuss. So I think the most fun way to do this is just give a quick synopsis of the overall impression, and then we'll just start going picking through details. So. You know, someone brings something up and we'll just riff on it from there. Um, Trevor, yeah, so you this go what, first. So this, yeah, right. you, you're going to start from the beginning, right? You're going to yeah, start so I'm pretty gonna, much, okay, quick you're going to start. I mean, right, cool. Just a quick synopsis yeah, and then cool. we'll start picking cool, apart cool. details. Yeah, so so right, anyone excellent. who hasn't read the book or, or seen Lynch's 84 movie, this whole starts, this whole movie starts off um, basically setting the world or the, the universe we live in. And so there is... Um, you know, we, we start with um, seeing the different worlds, uh, House Atreides on Kaladin, um, House Harkonnen on Giddy Prime, and then Arrakis itself, or Dune, where the most valuable substance in the universe, Spice Melange, is from. Spice Melange is what allows people to travel galactic distances. Without It, it wasn't a member of the Spice Girls? No, surprisingly. 
Um, and at, the, the at this Spice point, Girls were based on that. Yeah, at this Spice point, Milan's created the Spice Girls. Yeah, uh, House Atreides has just been ordered by the Emperor, or been asked by the Emperor to take over Planet Arrakis and um, refine spice, like like gather spice and refine it so that everyone has some. Um, up until this point, their most hated enemies, Har- House Harkonnen, has been has had the planet for the last eighty years. So now House Atreides is moving from point A to point B. House Harkonnen's supposed to leave. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of backstabbing going on. We also find out that the Emperor is doing this to set up House Atreides to, fa- to fail because the head of House Atreides, Duplito, um, is very popular and more popular than the Emperor. So he wants the House Atreides eliminated. So he promises House Harkonnen legions of his finest soldiers to, you know, after the Atreides think they're all set up and ready to go, House Harkonnen's going to do a surprise attack, wipe everybody out, House Atreides will be no more. So we have uh, Duke Leto, play, in this case played by uh, Oscar Isaac, very well, by the way, um, is, you know, the head of House Atreides. His son, uh, Timothy Chalamet, is his, his, his son, Paul. Um, his wife, uh, Lady Jessica, played by Rebecca Ferguson. She is a consort. She's not his wife. That's a big sticking point is that she's the consort. She's not the wife. She has given him the son. She is a member of the Bene Gesserit, which are kind of like witches. Um, Jedis. They they, they train their, their minds and bodies to the point where they, you know, they have really cool powers. They have something called the voice that can compels instant obedience into whatever they tell you to do. Um, she was told to bear son or to bear daughters for Leto, but Jessica fell in love with Leto and bore him a son instead. Um, so she's kind of in trouble with that because the, the Bene Gesserit have been doing like this is in the year 10,000 and they have for thousands of years been carefully cultivating genetic bloodlines to create a supreme being. Paul was supposed to be a woman. Paul was supposed to be then mated with uh, a member of House Harkonnen to create the Supreme Being. Jessica kind of sidestepped that and made Paul, which in some ways he's a flawed Supreme Being, which we find out later in the books. In the movie, it just, it really doesn't go into it. Only thing is, is Paul has a abnormal um, reaction to spice. He has seemingly, it just makes his mind go, go crazy and go wandering. He has prophetic dreams of things that'll happen. Um, so anyway, a couple of other things with Paul, too, is the yes. fact he's trained as a Mentat, which is a biological computer. Mm-hmm. He's trained by two of the greatest warriors of all time, right? With, and trained by his mom in Ben and fighting techniques and the right, The weirding way. So you have this ultimate crazy character with, trained in multiple disciplines who has... Right, and he's also been fractioned off from the Bunny Jesuit breeding program, right? So it's he's like this weird offshoot to become this ultimate hero character. And yes. this is part that they didn't quite establish in the movie, but we'll get to that. So keep going, Trevor. All right, so they get to Dune. Um, House Harkonnen has set up some traps and whatnots. Um, at one point, there in his room comes a little hunter seeker. This is little flying in in this movie. It looks like a little like a, a overly large uh, mosquito. Um, tracks by movement. At one point, flies almost right up to his eye, but then the door opens. He manages to catch it, and you know 
and it turns out it was controlled by a Harkonnen agent who had been sealed into a wall for months, waiting for his opportunity to, to use this hunter seeker. Um, meanwhile, House Atreides has sent some of their best soldiers, including Duncan Idaho, ahead to try to make contact with the Fremen, the only indigenous people on the planet who have learned to survive in the desert and thrive in the desert. Um, and so they make contact with uh, Keys, Kynes, Kynes, Keys. I can't remember his name. Uh, Leah Keynes, Kynes. I don't know how you say it, but yeah, like I yeah, said, I'm going to mispronounce names this episode. I'm, so yeah, I'm gonna, I say Leah Kynes. That's what I would the, say. The imperial um, ecologist, as well as the judicator for the, the transfer of power from Harkonnen to Atreides. In this case, is played by a woman, and the original was played by a man, and the novels is a man. Um, well, I'll go into casting after. Anyways, um, we see they, they want to see a you know spice harvesting in progress. So they go out and see a harvester. Cariel shows up because there's a worm coming in. The Cariel is supposed to pick up the harvester and carry it to safety. Something goes wrong. Leto orders the ornithoppers, which were finally, as described in the novels, which kind of look like dragonflies, to land and bring all the people into the ornithoppers and fly away. And at one point, the guy says, but sire, all the spice. And Leto, who is the opposite of the Harkonnens, says, you know, screw the spice. The people are more important, which kind of impresses Kynes. Because up to that point, the Harkonnens are like, I don't care how many people die. We just want the spice. So that kind of turns her onto his side in, in some ways. And she kind of gives hints that she's there under the emperor's command and the emperor's not viewing the Atreides favorably, but she doesn't come out and say it, but she keeps hinting at maybe the cards, the, the, the deck stacked against them in this case. Um, and then we have the Harkonnen and an Imperial attack. You know, Leto gets, gets captured. Turns out he was betrayed by a member of his own staff, his doctor, who replaces one of his back teeth with a poison tooth. So if he bites down on it as he exhales, his exhale will be poisonous, is what he's told. His last breath will be poisonous. So um, the Bene I'm just going to say for the record right now, cutting in, mm -hmm. this yeah. quick synopsis is turning into a Kevin Smith synopsis. I know. I'm trying to be quick, but it's it's a big-ass movie. It's like, All right. Keep going, Trevor. You're doing a great thick. job. Power through it, Trevor. Uh, so Power through it. <laughs> after the attack, or during the attack, the Bene Gesserit have have said that they want Paul's mom and Paul not to be killed. So they agree to that. They stick him on an ornithopter. Paul manages to use the voice to because the, the 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 Baron agrees that they won't his troops will not kill Paul and her, or his mother, but he'll let the desert do it because he figures if we just drop him off the desert, the desert will finish him off because it would. They manage to use the voice, take over the ship, go through a sandstorm, um, crash, survive, get to some rocks, meet up with some Fremen. There's a little bit of hand hand combat, and then in the most lackluster ending I've ever seen in a movie, they just walk away. They just walk away. They're, they're headed walk somewhere. into the credits. They just do, do, do walk in the credits. You know, it was, it was like they picked the worst possible moment to end that film. There's no hook to get you to the next film other than, well, let's see where they go. Yeah, um, we'll start riffing on points right now because that <laughs> sums up the film. And I'm going to cut to my ending points first. Yeah, this movie didn't really have an ending which is crazy because empire strikes back had an ending you know the empire basically won and the rebels got away just barely but it felt like an ending like it the story wrapped up you don't know where han solo is going but luke skywalker got away princess leia got away it's an ending 
Right. And in Infinity War, it had an ending. You know, half the universe got snapped. Yeah. But Thanos was the hero of this movie. Like the way it was structured, it was his smash and grab movie. He got the gauntlet, got the gems, snapped the universe. Yep. And it was an ending. But like Trevor said, this one, it's like all this stuff happens and they just walk away and yeah, roll they, credits. They, they ended on a <laughs> on a just like the most lackluster note. Like honestly, I was watching with my wife and and I, you know, I was expecting them to cut at the during the duel. You know, when Jamis maybe knocks him down and has the 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 the, the sandworm tooth, the Chris knife at his throat. Mm-hmm. And you cut to credits right there. Like to end it on some sort of a cliffhanger, sort of a, a huge cliffhanger. Like, yeah. oh, you know, did did who won the fight? End it there. End it to something so that you're like chomping at the bit for the next movie. You're like, a, I need to see how that fight resolves. B, I need to see if you know if Paul does you know become leader of the Fremen. I need to see Paul get you know revenge for for the, the attack on House Atreides. But they ended on such a. It's like. Wah, wah. I would have even settled for a tear coming off of Paul's eye, drops down, and they go, he gives water to the dead. Yeah, something. That would have been at least something. He didn't even cry. No, that was, this is one of my other points is, so in the 84 movie, um, Kyle McLaughlin played Paul Atreides. And there were several points in the movie where he smiles he shows emotion. Timothy Chalamet, you know, I both characters are playing supposed to be a 15 to 16 year old. That kid has one expression on his face the whole goddamn movie. It doesn't Actually, matter. He's got if someone, two. I'll tell you the second one, but go ahead. All right, but it doesn't it doesn't even matter if someone's threatening his life or sucking his goddamn dick. Just stone face the whole goddamn time. Your dad said. Except when Jason Momoa comes. Duncan like, Idaho is the only one that breathes life into him. But when he shows up, like, you see him. It's like, hey, buddy. Yeah, but it was. It I'm was, happy to be in this movie. It, it well, that's also forced. that's also because it's Jason Momoa. I mean, yeah, it's Jason, but it's, Jason Momoa Jason gets that Momoa reaction from anyone. You hug, of course, yeah, you're exactly. going to smile. <laughs> okay, but okay, so we're going to be skipping through this stuff. Just picture we have the spice prescience, and we're seeing through future yeah. and past. But and, just he. So we're going to be jumping around. But show when, any emotion. You just lost your father and your family. And when Jason Momoa shows up, he is the life of this movie. And I wish some of the other characters brought that in. But every time Duncan Idaho shows up, he's like smiling and he's bursting with energy. And yeah, he's, he's like, oh, this is the emotion I've been missing. This is the big personality. Yeah. So now we have like Gurney Halleck, which who is the basic, in essence, He's like the the drill. Okay, if we're gonna speak on Gurney, we got to enable screen share because I'm gonna share something. All right, um, but Gurney Halleck in the first movie was played by Patrick Stewart, who we know yes. is Picard. In this one, it's Josh Brolin, and they even have this whole sequence of smile, Gurney, and and completely stone faced. I am in the books. Gurney is a little bit more emotional. He plays an instrument. He sings in several times in the book. This this was like the lo- the most emotionless Gurney Halleck. Like yeah. Patrick Stewart put like when they fight, there's emotion in Patrick Stewart's voice. He is, you know, he's upset the fact that Paul isn't giving his all. This one not as much. 
Here, let me know if this is uh, going to skip it all. How do you more? Where's the thing where that enables video share? Uh, we'll just try this. So th the thing with Gurney is the Basilet. Is that the, what was the name of the thing? Yeah, the Basilet. Yeah. And there's this medieval instrument that as soon as I saw it, it's like, this should be in Dune. I'm oh, always okay. picturing Gurney playing this instrument in the movie. Yeah. And I don't understand how this didn't end up on film. And apparently Joss Brosnan said he did play it at some point during the recording or at least some sort of instrument in the making of the movie. So hopefully there's going to be some sort of outtake or something that will show something like that in it. But again, yeah, Gurney's supposed to be the poet. He's like yeah, the he's life the of the party, poet. right? He's, you know, you have Duncan Idaho, who's the hardcore warrior and gurney is like yeah he's a warrior but he's more of the renaissance man of the group yeah and they miss that in this movie and just the exclusion of the instrument that he plays the bell set like i don't understand why they did that yeah it's there were so many points of okay well, i'll get into the casting in, in some cases where i mean josh brolin I think he, he played a very good Gurney Halleck, but I think I agree. They, didn't, they didn't the let let that character develop to be that that you know that rounded character of he's the warrior on one hand, he's the the musician poet on the other. Right. They, they didn't have him say a little in, bit of poetry, but it it didn't No, it didn't land. They had to land. lean into what made the character stand out from all the other characters. And with yeah. him being like the sto like stoic, stone faced character who said like that scene where he says, I am smiling. You now, if he leaned over and gave a little wink and a smile, that yeah, would be more. That would have been just a, I am smiling and give a, you know, just a little, just a subtle thing of like, yes, he's staying stone faced just on, on, on purpose. Right. Um, yeah. And there was just, there's a, lo a lot of things like, I love the fact that when the Mentats access their power, their eyes roll back and you see the whites of their eyes. That was so you can see them accessing visual. that, that computer, that, that, you know, organic computer in their head. Because the whole thing is the, the Butlerian Jihad in the books is where they fought against AI machines and barely won. So at that point, all AI machines are outlawed. That's yes. why they created Mentats, genetic, basically organic machines. Right. So it's human computers and you're not allowed to disrupt the image of man or I forget the exact way they describe it. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not allowed to make an artificial image of man. So instead, they figure out all these ways to enhance humans to the at absolute. Yeah. And so when potential. the sequence when uh, Steve McKinley uh, Henderson, who is is, is 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 Hewitt, when he his eyes just roll back for a split second and come back down and he spits it. It was like that is a beautiful visual way of letting yes. us know when Mentats are accessing their power. And Although, I had and I had oh. actually I had actually gotten to that part of my viewing and all that and I completely forgot like what the frack was and then I realized who he was and I'm like oh shit that's fantastic actually because yeah. that's I mean I think that's the first time they've actually shown anything like yeah. that in up any until version. that point like the first Dune movie it was they they take they they drink a little thing repeat recite their little yeah. thing and yeah, then yeah, that yeah, yeah. Like, that was it yeah okay. no that was fantastic to see now yeah. one thing oh. as far as art direction because uh, overall okay. We're going to pull way back, big picture. The art direction, cinematography, everything in this movie 
was so mind-blowing. Like, my this, brain exploded. It's a visual feast. This film is gorgeous. Visually, yes. even the, the music, it is a gorgeous film. Yes. What I feel is the downfall of this film is the pacing is so glacially slow. There's a lot of yes. scenes they could have shortened and tightened and delivered the same message they were trying to tell in that scene. But yeah. it's a, I think it's a case of the director knew he's got two and a half hours in this movie, and if he can get the green lit, he's going to have two and a half hours in the next movie, so he's got a five-hour playground. And the problem is, just like you know Snyder's Justice League, when you have all that time, you let scenes go on and on, and you're letting the scene breathe, but there's a point when you should be cutting. You should, okay, the scene has breathed long enough. We don't need another three minutes. But we here's the thing with- for me with this, because I agree with everything you said, Trevor. It just kind of felt long and drawn out. And there's a monotonous tone through the whole thing where it's an action sequence and it still kind of feels monotonous. And there's character relationships and it still kind of feels well. Monotonous. I just I was I was kind of when I was watching this off the back of my mind, I was like, they stayed in a long shot way too often because they're trying to show off these beautiful vistas. They're trying to show off this beautiful set design. When it was a scene that maybe you should have done at like you know a waist shot mm-hmm. or maybe a closer, like a chest up shot. Get us in close because there's a, an important con. Like drag that camera over because something important's happening, and then let it go back and show us more of the pretty scenery. Yeah. But they were so in, enamored of their pretty scenery, they'd kept the the camera back in an important moment between characters. And you're like, I feel like I'm staying too far back. As the yeah. audience, I need to get closer. So I'm I feel it because the problem was this movie ended. I didn't give a shit about anybody, with the exception of Duncan Idaho. Everyone else, but spoilers, he's going to come back for the next seven books. Yeah, but I honestly, (laughs) at the end, by the end of this film, I didn't give a shit about anybody because I'd never been pulled in close enough in the emotional sequences to to get myself invested. It was always back. I'm always standing back in a long shot, going, I don't care. But not only that, like I do agree with the cinematography for some of those shots, but story points was the same thing. There's so many story elements that were removed that appear in the book. Mm-hmm. Like in Caledon, they added this all these extra scenes. It's like, oh, wow, they're really setting this up. We didn't, need them. We we didn't, didn't need, need them. They didn't There's things the like, okay, I got to start going through, sifting through my notes and feel free to riff. So uh, Dr. Wellington Yu, mm-hmm. I never felt his betrayal. Now in the book, he gives the Orange Catholic Bible to Paul. They have this intimate moment. It's like, hey, this doctor is really looking out for this kid. And there's something that feels really powerful between their bond. That wasn't in the movie. So the betrayal felt empty. What was in the 84 edition, Lynch's film, Dean Stockwell, I think, played the doctor better. There was was hurt emotion Mm. when when that betrayal happened, when he was putting the tooth in Duke, and especially when he was meeting with Baron, you could feel that man's anguish. He was anguished over the fact that he he had to betray this family, that he had to go against his program. He was beside himself. Chen, uh, Chen Chang, good actor, but I don't think he was given that direction of how much. I mean, I was just like, yeah, okay. You, you, I yeah. honestly don't think they built up the the bond. 
Yeah. And the other thing they skipped entirely was the uh, Atreides Mentat suspecting Jessica was the traitor. That was a huge part. It's it's one of the biggest parts of, of the, the first book is that's why um, Thufur is willing to work for the Harkonnens. Right. After the attack. That's because he feels that Jessica betrayed them. So he is working with the Harkonnens to figure out how deep they that, can get that Jessica went. Yeah. And that's not there. So we're going to be like, when he shows up now with the, the, the Harkonnens in, in part two, you're going to be like, why the fuck do you switch sides? There's no, exactly. there's nothing there to give that betrayal. And the thing is that moment, that betrayal, all that stuff, it feels very Game of Thrones. And you just know George R.R. R. Martin took so much <laughs> stuff from this book, from Dune. Like the lot, houses, the betrayal, the people all, battling. The thing is, the all your major science fiction after the, the first book was written in what, 56? Right. They, uh, George Lucas referenced Dune a lot. That's why we start on Tatooine, a exactly. desert planet, because that okay. was his homage to Dune. We'll get back to the whole betrayal thing. But since you brought that up, how many times in this movie did you look at a certain shot where you see the sunrise and goes, oh my God, it looks like Tatooine. Wait. Tatooine copied it from this. Or you yeah. look at the Spice Harvester. Oh my God, it looks like a Jawa Sandcrawler. Oh, wait, they got that from yeah, this. Yeah. Now, I looking at the two films of Dune, Lynch's Dune from 84 and this Dune, I felt that Lynch's Dune had a more aristocratic style. Mm -hmm. And what set it off for me at the very start was the floating lights that follow people in from room to room. In this movie, it was kind of like a, a tire set on its, like a, like a tire with a glow around the, the, the outside and whatever the hover thing is in the middle and it would follow them. In Lynch's Dune, it was like, almost like a neon light with a set of like gilded gold wings and all this other filigree and, and very Baroque, like artistic style to it. I, I do so the exact would, same thing, Mike. I do it not would come hovering those. into the room. I'm so googling right now. And stop and glow, and you'd be like, "That is so ostentatious." Yes, this is what an elite ruling family would have, not a fucking Goodyear tire floating around following people. I didn't so, mind the design of that. I didn't. Honestly, I didn't mind the design, but the, in the back of my mind, I'm like Lynch. In some ways, visually, did it so much better. Now, I think Villeneuve, in terms of like the, the epic scale shots, those, I mean, his his Vista shots of Dune were just incredible. Oh, they were. Even the even the shots of like Caledon with the, the you know, the oceans, like the, mm -hmm. the scene where Paul just was there leaving and you see the ships rising up out of the water getting, I was just like, that is a gorgeous shot. That it is was a visual feast for sure. It's, it's, it's amazing. But then I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking back to like Lynch's stuff and I'm like, in some ways, he did it better. He really did. Like, it just, it looked so certain, much better. There were certain parts. And, okay, again, we'll do time skip right to the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Princess Erlen, and I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but this is a huge thing that was missing from this movie because Princess Erlen was the one who does, she basically acts, a, acts as a de facto narrator in the book. She, mm -hmm. like before there's a chapter she gives her narration of what's happened and when you're reading the book you're like who the hell is this princess i don't know who she is who's this moa d like i don't understand 
it's all very confusing. But then as you get to the end of the book, it just hits you like a train where, and this is the prescience that uh, was written into the books where you're giving like future sight. And as you follow the story, it, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And because that was missing, like, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to land this ending. Now, to be fair, it's two parts. So if they begin with Chani and you end with her, maybe mm -hmm. that's the open closed loop that ties the first part together. But without the princess giving her narration, how, like, how do you get that effect? Fun fact, though, the narration was an added thing for the Lynches. Yeah. Yeah. So originally, so when Lynch did his first first cut of the movie, it was over four hours. Okay. And they locked him out of the editing room and re-edited it down to like two and two fifteen, I think two twenty. Yep. And so exactly. they had yep. to, they had to go back and shoot some some narration scenes to lay over top to kind of stitch some of this stuff together to make it work. So they added the whole Virginia Madsen as the princess at the start, talking and kind of giving all that filler. But that's and straight Lynch, from the books, though. But things that, but Lynch, I guess, did it all visually. He did it as a show, not tell. Okay. They were like, well, shorten yeah, it. It's David Lynch. It's David Lynch. David Lynch's yeah. show. Yeah, more. So than they were tell, like, no, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll tell. Um, and so when he saw that, he had his name removed from the film and Alan Smithy. So in some versions, like the TV versions where they do the extended cut Dune, where it's like two hours and forty minutes, it's directed by Alan Smithy. Because he wanted his name off it. And he, uh, I was reading the thing to this day, if people brought up Dune, he does not want to talk about it because he felt so betrayed because he was told he would have full editing control. But they were like, we can't throw a four hour movie in, 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 into the theater. It'll never work. Especially at that time. Yeah, especially way back when. It, yeah. it just never worked. So, you know, people could call for the, the Lynch cut. Of dude, I would watch the shit out of that. I don't care if it's four hours. This is going to be five and, and change by the time they're done. That is um, a good point, yeah. And the other thing is they completely eliminated the character of Theodrutha, the character played That's... by Sting in 84, which is a big deal because he Huge plays a deal. big damn part. He was who Paul, if Paul was a woman, was to marry yes. and create the Kwisak Haderach. Mm-hmm. Without him being there, it kind of, I mean, it all falls on Raban, who the, the whole plan was Har uh, uh, Vladimir Harkonnen sent Raban to, to Dune and to just brutally crush it under his heel, get everyone just, just so angry. And then Fayed was to come in like the savior and like kind of alleviate. And everyone would be like, oh, thank God. We love the Harkonnens. We love Fayed. We hate yeah. Raban the Beast, but we love it. But without that, it makes no sense. So, so without Fayette there, you're like, then that makes no sense. And the Bene Gesserit had the plan that these two would marry to make, how yeah. do you say that? Kazwet. The, the Kwisak Haderach. Kwisak Haderach. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, to not have, like, there's still an opportunity for him to appear in the next movie. Yes. But he should be in this one because there is the weird dynamic with the Baron and his two nephews, right? Yeah, they're nephews. Where it's, you know, he's not quite sure which one's going to lead and it should be the one guy, but the other guy is doing a good job. So there's a tension between those two characters. And I remember yeah. reading the book because I'd already seen the 1984 movie before reading it. 
And most recently, I knew who the casting was for this movie. And I kept getting mixed up between the characters. Like, wait, which nephew is this one? Which nephew is this one? Is this Oscar Stinger or is this right Drax? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> you're, you're talking about it. Now, what's missing is with, with Baron and David Batista, the red hair. Yes. That is a huge point in the novels, the fact that all the Harkonnen ruling family have flaming red hair. And the Barons are starting to gray a bit, and he even has it colored because he, the red hair is... And the, but you've got Dave Batista who's bald... And Skarsgård, who's bald in this this version, and he's like, "Where's the where's the red hair?" And I was saying in the previous podcast that we've done, like I would be happy even if it was eyebrows, even hair in the ears, like yeah. something armpits. Give me something. But neither because of them have eyebrows. If you look at them, they, they don't even have eyebrows. Now, huge plot point, and this gets back to Game of Thrones territory too. If this is how the Harkonnens are. Jessica should be bald. Yeah, because she's right. Oh, and yes, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. So woman. it's like if you're gonna go there, you have to do that because this but, is like the Lannister ball or not bald blonde. But, yeah, but the 84 movie that Jessica had red hair. Mm-hmm. This one, the Rebecca Ferguson does not have red hair. She's got like you know, uh just brown hair, like chestnut hair. And it's like, yeah, we're missing that. You know, I know that's um, such a key story point. Like, again, George R. R. Martin, I'm sure, got the whole Lannister conspiracy from Dune. Yeah, because I mean, they had that whole thing with all the Harkonnens have red hair. It's a dominant gene trait. They all get yes. red. Hair. Now, I'm going to say, in terms of of style, again, Lynch, I think, won in terms of some of the costuming. Which one? Some of this. I, like the 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 um, the Reverend Mother in the '84 version of Dune scared the shit out of me. She's just got like yeah. she's bald head with the yeah. headdress. Yeah, yeah. I was damn terrified. And the Gom Jabbar was like, you know, it's like slips on a finger, it's a tiny little needle. Not like she's holding a, a knitting needle to someone's neck. It was she had her hand around his neck with the needle touching the jugular. This one, it's like she's she's you know she's holding a whoop, whoop, there it goes uh, oh don't you dare <laughs> holding don't a pen up, yourself. Like, like ooh, holding the pen to my neck and she's like you know pinky up and i'm just yeah. like uh yeah and See, i know you don't want to mind that personally the reverend mother was one of my you know more favorite parts of this movie and i didn't gomjabar is that how you say it but yeah, the, the, the basketball player right yeah gomjabar <laughs> What? Sorry, sorry. What happened? And, and it's the last time, people. And the last time, Mike, when you said monominous, right? Like two times in a row in the back of my head, I'm going do 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 do. So I, I just wanted to get that out there because yes, it now, is. I do like the midnight. fact that in this movie they get rid of the whole sound attack weirding way thing. Oh, thank God for that. Okay, okay. I, do we have screen share? Okay, we have to get into this because. This is one thing that drove me crazy with the way uh, the weirding way was done in this movie because in the books it's written as such an epic sort of fight style, right? It's like yeah. the characters disappear and they just, you know, like it's it's not your normal just hand-to-hand combat. Like if yeah. I look at Duncan Idaho fight, okay, well, the way Duncan they pull it off a- in the movie, it worked. He- in, in the in the movie in the books, he's like a sword master of Gillens, I think is, is what it is. So he's like the top rated sword school. 
he is like their best students before yes. they were before the school was wiped out. So he's like the elite swordsman of any house, and he just happens to be House Atreides' elite swordsman. But yeah, the yeah. Benedictors are weirding way. It combined their 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 physical abilities that they've they've trained and their mental abilities to a style that your average person cannot. You don't even stand a chance. So like when she fought the Fremen the first time, they had no clue what they were up against. Right, and you we didn't see it. And no. okay, let me know if this video actually works because I've been watching so much anime. This is a sequence <laughs> from Boruto, and this is Sasuke. But this is the way I'm picturing the weirding way. So you have these characters that are doing just ridiculous moves, but it's these things where it's this lightning flash kind of transfer. So in this sequence coming up, Sasuke is about to get hit, but to get hit by an axe. And then he substitutes himself with the statue behind him. And that's the kind of mystical element I'm thinking is missing in this movie as far as the weirding way. It's this, you know, they're standing there and then they're gone. It's like, yeah, what I, the hell happened? I, I, I kind of wanted to see Stilgar, like, taking his Chris knife, shoving it right at Jessica's face, and in his mind thinking she's there and then when he goes through his arm goes through almost like a hologram of her that just kind of fades away and then right. she's right behind him with a knife at his throat and he's he's like i didn't see her move right I that's exactly like that sasuke transfer thing where yeah it's well, we didn't see that she just kind of just you know did a standard disarm and roll and and had yeah and it's, just like, it's just like that's, oh that's normal but frank herbert always said that all these powers like, yeah even like, the voice yeah, like the none of these are supernatural. This is just the command humans have over their own body. So mm-hmm. he always said the voice, that's like a politician speaking and everybody just wants to listen. Now they right? did do a nice thing where she told him after that he was using the wrong pitch. That's yes. why his, his voice. So it's it's something that they've exhaustively, like they've got such control of the vocal cords that they have the full octal range of a human right. voice and, and they know it. how to make people submit that's one thing with the reverend mother that was one of my favorite examples of benny jesuit power in this movie is where she calls paul over and, yeah, next come here, like, Neil, and he does it automatically yes that was phenomenal whereas but in I the wish... movie he resisted at first but when she said it again he couldn't resist the second time which was kind of a hinting at maybe he's more than your your average mm-hmm but then the weirding way, though, like I never got the sense that it's this. Again, it's not supernatural, but it appears that way. It's like ninjutsu, where it seems like people disappear. It seems like they have magic. It seems like they're tapping into supernatural powers. But to, for that to appear on film, you want to see it. You want, yeah, like you said, it's honestly, it's knife to the throat would, and phew, gone. It's how I would imagine a Jedi fighting a non-Jedi. Yes, you know, the person goes for a punch. And they feel themselves, their whole body being slowed down, you know, by force grip. And then the Jedi's using like a force, you know, speed enhanced to get behind them. And as their punch finally reaches the their termination, the Jedi's already there throwing an elbow at the back of their head. Yes. And they don't know how the, the guy got around him, how he missed, how this guy moved so fast. I wanted to see that. And exactly, because that's a huge story point why she's accepted into the Freeman. Why she's and accepted like that instantly. Yes. And why the freemen become absolute savages because already they're, what was it, Sendikar? They're 
yeah. almost equal to the Sendikar as far as fighting techniques. Oh, but once they get the weirding way, yeah, they become it's unstoppable. They're absolute beasts. Yeah, and it's it's this is these were little points that I think were were skipped in this movie that they could have put in by taking out some of the other filler crap they had put in from place to place. And the thing is, there's enough of that big, monotonous kind of brooding, atmospheric shots. Just put a little bit of this in between. So. One little fun fact. So you were talking about how you were watching this with your family, but um, I watched it with mine as well. So there's the seven of us watching this movie. Three of us watched, or three of us had read the books. The other four haven't. So the three of us that read the books were able to pick up all the minute details. Like, whoa, 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 that's this thing. That means this. The rest of the family that hadn't read the books, like, I don't know what's going on. What are they doing? What are they yeah. talking about? It's like, no, 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 this is important because da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. it is? Oh, what's going on? It looks cool, but I don't know what's going on. That's and not a good so, thing, though. No. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see this movie winning Academy Awards for cinematography. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's I mean, this movie looks gorgeous. But for someone who hasn't read the books or especially hasn't watched Lynch's version, you're going to get lost. You're gonna be like, who's that guy? What, what's he? Why is he doing that? You know, yeah. and you're gonna miss all the. And you're like, I don't understand what they're doing there. Like, like there's no. And they they don't. Again, they're trying to show not tell, but you do need some telling in there sometimes because it's just it's too dense of a, a of a material to just say we're gonna show you some pretty visuals and and you'll figure it out as you go. Yeah. So here's this guy. So what we're saying, what we're saying is, this is like this guy's just made a two and a half hour niche movie. It's like going to appeal to only the fans of the source material, and that's unfortunately. If, yeah, if you haven't yeah. read the book, or especially, or even if you haven't watched Lynch's movie, which explained more and showed less, you're you're going to get lost, and you're going to understand where you're supposed to be. I will say this is a great science fiction movie. Like, this is one of the best science fiction movies I've seen in a long time. But it could have been the greatest science fiction movie of all time if they just paid attention to a little more details. Like, if they were able to get more information, tweak the characters a little bit. Like, this, there's, based on the cinematography, based on the source material, based on the casting, this easily could have been one of the best movies ever created of all time. I agree with you 100%. But it just wow, that's that's a big landed. that's a big statement, guys. That's it is. So like even yeah. with the flaws, I like I'll keep watching it. it. Again, it's a visual feast, right? And it's great. Like there, it's a great movie. But it should have been the best movie. It could have been the best movie. <laughs> um, one thing with pacing is there's a moment in the book where uh, the Atreides land on Arrakis and they have a dinner party. And it's this slow moment with all the characters just kind of settling in to their new role. And there's character moments and it's this calm before the storm. That didn't happen in this movie. That, and that's where um, uh, Thu, uh, I keep screwing up his name. Thufer. Thufer, how what? Yeah, he brought up his concerns about Jessica yes. to the Duke who said it's, it's okay. Yes. That's where that that's where that whole sequence took place where 
the Mentat started to suspect Jessica, saying yes. this is a Bene Gesserit plot or she's working with the Harkonnens. You know, something's going on. And he and Duke Leto was like, no, it's okay. And that sets up that whole suspicion. Yeah. And but it's it the, um, was it, it's the, what do we call her? The housemate or whatever, the Shadow the, Mapes? The Shadow Mapes. Who is the one that mentions that there's a spy and starts the conspiracy. And the whole thing builds from there. So again, it's that George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones. That whole element was missing. And it's the, all that political intrigue. And then the calm of the storm with the dinner party and all the suspicions starting to happen. And then there's the Harkonnen invasion and everything gets blown apart. But because we don't have that lull, because we don't have that moment of suspicion, it just, again, is that monotonous tone. It just kind of goes mellow. Yeah. And you, you, it begins, it gets a little numbing in a way because you're, it does. And I will say the most intense sequence of the movie for me was the spice harvester where it gets swallowed by the worm. Like that was the one moment of the movie that just felt like edge of the seat. So with Duke, with the, yeah, Duke Leto and Paul and was it Duncan? I think Duncan, who was there? Uh, I forget. Gurney. No, Gurney. Gurney was there. So they go there to see the spice harvester and that's the one moment where the pacing of the movie seems to change. It's like suddenly you're on the edge of your seat and yeah. everybody's see- like, no, it's calm. We got this under control. And then the lifters claws don't work. And, you know, yeah. like that was one part of the movie where it's like, oh, I know my heart got racing. It's like, this is intense. This is awesome. Because you got the the thing is you got the whole threat of the sandworm approaching. That's not changing. He's It's still coming. Yeah. And even the music changed a little bit. Yeah, I, and the cinematography of the looking through the goggles and and then Paul gets the whiff of the spice and zones yeah. out. He Which they kind of altered from the book because in the book he stays in the the ornithopter the whole time. Yeah. Now, yeah. one of the things I did like they addressed the fact that you know they use the the, the fremen use thumpers, a rhythmic sound to, to attract the worm. So to walk in the desert, you walk without rhythm, and they have this whole shuffle dance that the Fremen mm-hmm. use to, to mimic the sound of the sand so that you can't so the worms oh, that's don't go there. That's kind of neat. And they even show a little bit of it, and then later on Paul has to show it to Jessica so they have to walk through part of the desert doing this Fremen mm-hmm. shuffle to walk without rhythm to not attract a worm to get to the rocks. And that's such a huge moment in the books. But yeah. visually, it's like, how do you do that? Like, how do you walk without rhythm? Like, I, that's one thing. It's like, how, I'm not sure what that looks like. And in this movie, they show it. And you go, oh, yeah. That's oh, that totally makes more it. sense. Okay, so that's how you walk without rhythm. All right. And they okay. even turn that into a Fortnite emote. And when we went walking with our dog today, all the kids were doing that. They were doing the walk through the forest. Well, I, I mean, that I, is so awesome. <laughs> that sound clip. That's um, great. That's the, great. Uh, the, oh God, the weapon of choice, the one that uh, Paul Walk or, or Christopher Walken dances in. Oh, yeah. That is one of the sound riffs they have is, you know, walk without rhythm, don't attract the worm. If you don't walk without rhythm, you'll never learn. Yeah. You know, that's a little sound clip that they play throughout the song. And it's just like, oh, okay, walk without rhythm. There we go. So, yeah. So, again, it is a great, it is a really good movie 
unfortunately you need to know the movie before you see the movie yes you need to, to really to enjoy know a lot of the backstory yeah. before you yeah. can watch the movie and enjoy it yeah visually if you're just there to just enjoy a visual spectacle it's it is beautiful it is they really went all out for for the visual aspects of the movie mm-hmm. the the sound is gorgeous it's just how they told the story there's some issues yeah and because and i think in a case of they fell in love with the cinematography themselves so they didn't pull the camera in to the characters when they needed to and for as i said for me by the end of the movie i didn't care about any of the characters because i never got to connect with them which again makes that story one step further back so again so i'm like i don't care about the story. it was beautiful to watch but and also long I mean, we we had a couple of buffering issues because I think everyone was trying to watch the movie. Across the <laughs> um, so we, we had a couple of buffer issues that it, it resolved pretty quick. Um, great made for great pee breaks or snack breaks or whatnot. But it was without those breaks, this movie this movie still felt incredibly long. That's why I was like, at one point, I'm like, oh god, it's just dragging. Could we just get from point A to point B already? Do we have to spend this goddamn long escaping? Can we just escape already? Um, so yeah, there were moments there. I was just like, man, they could really tighten this up in the editing bay. You know, one thing they did it. too is with the Baron, is they nerfed him a little bit because they nerfed if a lot. you know he, of his sexual orientation and all that kind of stuff, they didn't even go near that. Yeah, and whereas the the eighty four movie, I mean, yeah, they added like things like the heart plugs and stuff, like that. but you knew that the Baron was just a reprehensible character in this not as much i mean he was still reprehensible irreprehensible what's the right word i don't know it's like but anyways he's a bad guy he's a creepy dude in this movie but you just know how much more creepier he should be oh yeah and they could have went there and i understand you want to keep this film as pg as you can get it for the most people to watch it but they could have hinted at it they could because again the lineage plays a huge part in future stories. Mm-hmm. And the more creepier you make him here, especially when you get to the future stories with Paul's little sister and where all that goes, it's like you have yeah. to establish that now. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's going to be a huge payoff later. And what's the other thing? I don't the know. Thing is, so when the Duke thing. did his poisonous exhale, and yes. Harkonnens are dropping left and right in the room. I didn't even notice that Peter DeVries, the, the Harkonnen Mentat, died. Because, like, in, in the 84 edition, you see him standing back, go, ah, and then drop right. out of frame. Yeah, other yeah, people yeah. Are dropping. He was just, again, because they pulled back because they wanted to show you everything, he drops. You don't even know, because they're, you're, 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 they're trying to watch everything else. And then you're like, Oh, oh yeah, his mentat just died. Okay, and he's he was the Baron was the only survivor, but it, it was just again. Uh, that's another thing they didn't establish him as an important enough character, and his death makes way for Thufur to yeah come and in. And the later. thing is, it was part of the plan. He was the key architect of the the Harkonnen part of the plan with the Emperor. Yes, he was the go between between the Emperor because he was he visited in, in the eighty four movie. You see him. You know, he comes, he's coming back from a meeting with the emperor's people to confirm that the emperor is, is you know, going to be supporting the Harkonnens in this case. And we don't, 
we kind of see some of that where they talk about the Sardar car, um, but it it doesn't. The, the character lacks a lot of impact that he ha- he should have had that he does have in the books, mm-hmm. and the fact that when he gets killed, it leaves Vladimir Harkonnen without a mentat, which is why he is able to recruit Thufir to take over. Who's the greatest mentat? Yeah, he's like right. So it's a huge level up. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like upgrading your computer from from an old Apple II to a you know high end gaming PC. Yeah, um, there's a big difference. So yeah, there's I, I said for the most part the the, the new casting choices I'm behind 100. They they got a great cast. Oh, this is the, the second one. Okay, speaking of cast, I have to do this. That was the second point I was missing. Liet Kane's. I don't understand the casting for her him because i thought there might be a payoff i'm sure it's going to be shani's mother but in the david lynch version the 1984 i thought they got the casting for Liat kane's perfect oh max is this is the yeah 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 old white male from you know the establishment being inserted into the desert people and like that's what that character is supposed to be. He's not from around here, right? He's yeah. been inserted by the Empire to be the geologist. And so that's a very specific character. But because of the casting that we got, it didn't quite feel like that. Like it, She felt more like a local. She felt like a Freeman. Whereas yeah. this character shouldn't feel like that. He, this is like when I was living in Hawaii, there were the, you know, the old 60, 70-year-old people that had obviously been living there for years with that lobster skin, crested eyes. Yeah, leathery skin. Yeah. And this is the way I would picture someone like the late kind sewer. He's yeah, not from the desert. He's been there for 30, 40 years and has been out in the sun. So they got yes. that leathery skin that's been suntanned way too often. And Right. And that's what I wanted from that character. And then even the death. Like I've saw that a lot of people really liked the death sequence. I hate it. Kinds. I didn't like it either. There's something about the ecologist being eaten up by the planet that he was trying to revive yeah, that I, I just, really liked in the books, whereas this just seemed like, oh, uh, it's swallowed well, by in, a worm. In the books and in the 84 movie, Raban comes over, rips apart the still suit and says, yes. now, now go, go into the desert that you love so much. Yes. And with a wrecked still suit, you're not going to survive more than a day. Right. If that, if that, yeah, this exactly, just, yeah. This is just take a sword through the chest, fall down, drop a thumper, and thump your hand in the ground, and let a sandworm take you all. Right, and just like I, and that misses the point. Like it's such yeah. poetic irony that the ecologist gets consumed by the planet that mm-hmm. he's trying to protect, and that part is just you miss such a key component of the story there that. Uh, it kind of hurt because I, I was waiting i was waiting for the payoff it's like let's see if the you know the gender swap the race swap the whole thing let's see if it holds together yeah. who knows there's a second part of the movie maybe they can redeem it but maybe. um that that was the biggest casting misfire i thought now i think one of movie. the best casting pluses they did um uh javier bardem as stilgar Oh, that's a great one. Yes. That he, oh my God, that when he first shows up and he marches in, he spits on the table. And this, I mean, with his accent as well, 
this is someone you, you this is someone from a new planet someone you've never met before yes. someone who has an accent you have no idea where it comes from or and then when you see him later in the desert and you're just like this i mean your your attention is drawn to him yes yeah so. like the moment he walked in and he made so many acting choices that i wasn't expecting right he came in it's like oh this is weird it kind of feels alien like when he walks into the room and does the spitting he's got this weird expression on his face like i don't know how to read that and all his mannerisms were they felt alien so that was the biggest pleasant surprise as far as casting acting something i wasn't expecting so, like, I think he stole the show. And again, I think Duncan Idaho stole the show. Yeah. <laughs> like, those were the two characters where every time they were on scene, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is something special. This is epic. Yeah. So, I've, and the thing is, is unfortunately, still as of today, they have not greenlit part two. So, they keep talking about it, but I guess they, it's they not official. Talking, everyone's like, oh, is it, is it going to be happening or not? It should be happening. It's, you know, the, the thing is, the head of, of, of WB said, well, the way it's ended, you know, what do you think? And it's like, yeah, but you still have to say yes. You have to say yes, it's right. greenlit. Because we don't, because they still have to now go, go and film it. So this, we're not going to see this movie for another two, three years if part two is, is, you know, unless they filmed it secretly back to back. And they're just like waiting for the, the final confirmation. Like, all right, effects companies go. We'll get this out in a year sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, that's... I, I like, as I said, I love the visuals of this movie. Um, I love the music in this movie. I just didn't like the way they handled the story in this movie. I think they ended it on the wrong note, the wrong foot. Um, and there were so many little things that they skipped over that they should have put in, but instead decided to pad scenes that were useless and did not advance the story in any way. Instead, they could have taken those out and added those little story elements in that were sprinkled out throughout the movie ended on a stronger note to make me want to see part two and this would have been a much better movie this would have yeah, been a movie and that... inserting those extra character moments and story moments i think that would have helped the pacing because the moments that seem kind of monotonous those injections of information and little story bits that were missing that would have just like yeah brought life i mean to so if there had been a, a sequences a, 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 a short scene of the shadow of shadow mapes meeting up with, with Fufer and saying, I think there's a spy on your staff. Yes. You know, three seconds, four seconds. And, and, and Fufer saying, I'll look into it. And they, they part ways and you go, go to somewhere else. Just a short little scene like that. And then yeah, having the dinner scene, things like that would have made this movie a move, like the pacing move a little quicker, but also set us up for some of the stuff that happens. They're a racking conservatory where it's like they have a secret room that has things growing and moisture that, right, where the Atreides or Jessica finds this extra room. It's like, whoa, what the hell is this? Right, there's things yeah. like that. They don't mention Chome or the Spacing Guild. Like, yeah. that's deep history. In Star Wars, they mentioned the Clone Wars. You don't have to get into it. You just start yeah. dropping these names. It's like, whoa, there's this rich history of things going on. Well, as I said, like, I mean, comparing it again to Lynch's film, they got a lot of that supposition with Paul reading basically the, the, the narrating book that talks about the Spacefaring Guild, the Navigators and, and stuff. Like, and so 
you know, you can hear what's going on. You know, throw up a couple images like holograms floating above and sort of thing. That's fine. Like he does it with the little Muabdib mouse yeah. and stuff like that. And then when he hides behind when the hunter seeker comes in, you could have done the same thing and explained some of these organizations that are going to be aligned against House Atreides. Mm-hmm. So we see how big that betrayal actually is. It's not just the Emperor and, and House Harkonnen doing it. It's there's quite a few entities against House Atreides to make the to, to pull off this coup. Yeah, because there's like th- this is such a hard movie to d- adapt because the prescience aspect of it, mm-hmm. where you're seeing into the future, you're blasting back in the past, you're like seeing all these different elements. There's like these third person, or I guess first person skips between chapters in the book where it's one paragraph you're seeing through someone's eyes then it switches to the next character so you're constantly seeing what's happening in the minds of the characters in the book and, on the right and page. hearing their thoughts right we get to read their thoughts whereas you know in the again 84 movie they had it as as ghostly voiceover narration yes. Ooh, maybe he does do that we yeah. didn't get that in this movie so we have to just assume from the person's expression on their face like ooh. but i mean like like kind's says in in fremen of he'll know your ways as if born to them you know stuff like that like so they try to do some of that verbally mm-hmm. but then people be like well, what'd you say there you know yeah so little things like that yeah that's one thing that happened in the spider-man uh homecoming with the ai in the spider suit which i mm-hmm. did not like it's like spider-man shouldn't have an ai in his spider suit but it gives him someone to talk to and that's the first movie we got the chatty Spider-Man who's just constantly talking. Yeah. You know, so you can find little story elements on how to do that. So I wish they found a way to do that with this. I wish they had a little more of the prescience, the future site. But again, it sounds like I'm dissing this movie all around. <laughs> but that's only because it was a great movie and it should have been the best movie. Yeah, I mean... If I had to rate this movie, visuals, 10 out of 10, sound, 10 out of 10, story, six and a half out of 10. That's that's where it falls apart is the storytelling. Yeah. Um, just and everything I, was almost there. It was so yeah. close. It, there is, honestly, it was a couple of things. If they could have taken out some of the filler and used that to drop in more of the plot points, this story would have been 10 out of 10. This whole movie would have been 10 out of 10. Do you think there will be a director's cut? It sounds crazy for a two and a oh, half God. hour I movie. Hope, I, I, I can't imagine sitting through a longer version of this. I think if there were some extra scenes that they cut because they thought they couldn't fit it, you know, like the gurney playing the basslet and all these other moments. If they gurney playing they and, and, that, yeah. If they had like you know the the little moments between because it just felt like Paul was on the screen all the damn time. They just they were like, let's put Paul on the screen in some fashion or another at least 80% of the time. If Paul's not on the screen, no one's going to care. Well, people do. Because, you know, there's a lot of moments until Paul joins the Fremen that he's almost a secondary character to what's going on around him. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, part of it is they just, they really wanted him on the screen. To, hey, here's Paul again. And it was like, we don't need to see him this 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 bloody second. Like, <laughs> get the story point out. Then we can go back and see him like, tying his shoes or something. Like, <laughs> we don't need this be hanging over his shoulder 24 7 but the shot was epic when he was tying his shoes there's the slow-mo of the bow and then through the music was brilliant but yeah so yeah all right but all in all all in all a 
you you don't you you're not disappointed that you spent the time watching the movie i'm not disappointed in watching the movie i'm disappointed yeah. in how they handled the translation from okay. book to screen yeah so i will if, watch it again and again and again i mean i However, will watch this movie for, for for the visuals um because there's some visuals i want to go back and revisit again because i just i mean right, just right, such right. grand scale and yeah, again if, it's much easier of a watch if you have your background history in it even apparently just watching the lynch version is enough to have filled in the blanks yeah that you're probably going to have in this right yeah and as mm-hmm. for someone who works in entertainment and likes writing stories like this is such an interesting case because it is so epic and it's so good as a movie it's based on such a good book and because it fell short in certain areas it's a master class as far as just trying to deconstruct what was there that you liked what was there that you didn't like what could have been tweaked right because it wasn't the perfect movie and those kind of movies are really fun to dissect because that helps you as a storyteller it helps you as an entertainer like why did that scene not work oh it was missing this little key piece of information that i know but the audience might not know and again watching it with someone who's read the book and the other half hasn't read the book yeah you see where they're missing information it's like i know what happened they didn't know why wasn't that conveyed on screen like it's a fascinating case study in filmmaking so movies like this, I just love talking about. It. And it seems like I'm dissing it. And you know, <laughs> Denis Villeneuve can watch our podcast and diss us all he wants. But you know, it's just something that's fun to talk about. And yeah. something like geeking out the page is a perfect forum for us to do that. I mean, I would have loved to have known that if they had shown this to test audiences, saying, "Have do you know anything about Dune? Have you did you watch the '84 version?" and get people who have read the books, get people who have only watched Lynch's version or the, the sci-fi stuff or whatever, and people who have had no exposure whatsoever. And then, you know, have them fill out cards of like, did you understand everything? Did you catch all mm-hmm. the, you know, give us five plot points you caught and, and then say, okay. And then read the cards. All right. These people are catching these ones. These people are totally missing these ones. We need to jump back to the editing bay, maybe, you know, do some ADR and cover it up. So someone who has no clue about all of this can still enjoy the movie as the whole movie and not just be like, Ooh, pretty visuals. Yeah. You've just been listening to Geeking Off the Page with your hosts, Mike Kitchen, Gavin Burbage, Trevor Brown, and Troy Bowman. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Also, if you could leave us a rating and comment, that would assist in allowing others to find this podcast more easily. You can follow the podcast on the following social platforms. Instagram and Twitter, search for at PlanetGeekPod, all one word. On Facebook, search for Planet Geek Productions. Or you can send us an email to PlanetGeekPod at gmail.com. Buy the guys a coffee by going to Ko-Fi, K-O-F-I dot com slash planetgeekpod and know that any and all donations will go towards improving all current and future Planet Geek Productions programs. Thank you for listening.